0: I wanna take this thought a little deeper because, you know, again, it's not just about self-perception, it's perception of, of others. You wrote the more urgent question today has to do with what, if anything, might span the gap between us and them? Uh, or is that project doomed from the start? Are our discrepancies, whatever they may be, simply too deep to, to overcome? I wonder if we take us a little deeper there, and and this kind of divide we find ourselves in, uh, socially, politically, theologically, um, and and how that relates to uh, this thought of anthropology that you're you're spinning throughout the book. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carlisle Mike Wick, and a generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grumman. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary. A historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit CBTS.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is David Zoll. He is the founder and director of Mockingbird Ministries and the author of several books, including Seculosity and a newly released book that will be the focus of our conversation today. He's contributed to Christianity Today, The Washington Post, and The Guardian. David, welcome back to the conversation. Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, guests that we had on on the podcast before COVID was a twinkle in our eye, I've tended to ask what's changed in their lives over the last few years. Uh, But today I have a more pressing question to ask you uh, due to the week that we are recording this in late August. David, you are originally from New York. So the most pressing question is Yankees or Mets? And the answer to that will determine the trajectory of, of the rest of this interview. Oh No. Oh, no. Well, I grew up
1: in the uh, in Westchester County of New York, right outside uh, the city and in solidly Mets territory, uh, which is um, and, and I grew up in the 80s when the, um, the bad boys of uh, the 1986 Mets won the World Series. So um, if you're looking for a Yankees fan, you've come to the wrong place. I'm a tried and true. Let's go Mets fan in fact in my office i'm looking at a starting lineup of dwight gooden and behind me i've got uh, keith hernandez so um that's okay. all the way
0: let's uh let's check with our producers on whether that was the correct answer hold on just a second okay yes that was the actual correct answer because uh, in my <laughs> office right now we were talking about this before recording but i didn't tell you this before i'm staring at a daryl strawberry uh starting lineup who had the opportunity to interview two years ago on the podcast and uh <gasps> Yes, that was Daryl.
1: That <laughs> Daryl, that's incredible. I know he's. So, I know he's got a really strong faith, and I know he's. He's got. Uh, he's done some amazing work. Um. Yeah. that's yeah. That's very. I, I. envy you deeply.
0: Well, I've tried not to talk too much about the baseball, but uh, so. And here's the deal. So, if anybody knows what it's like being a Mets fan, we're recording this in August, and I can't remember when this episode's coming out. So there is a ninety-nine point nine percent chance that both of both of us, by the time this comes out, are going to be absolutely miserable because yet again the Mets would have an amazing season, <laughs> only to screw it up in the postseason. So yeah. um, who knows? It's fairly thankless. It's a thankless. It's it's not as bad as being a Jets fan,
1: but it's it's not that far off.
0: Um, I I told my <laughs> wife early on in marriage I said I I am committed to you. I mean the words I say, and just in case you ever question that. Um, know that I'm a lifelong Mets fan, and if I have stayed with them this long, I'll stay with you through thick and thin, honey. Uh, she didn't really <laughs> appreciate that, and I probably should never share that story, um, but I did, so it's out there. That's that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> All funny. right, so uh, last we had you on, you just released uh, Seculosity. This is a deeply theological discourse about uh, a new religion of busyness being formed and um, in innovation and technology overload and self-aggrandizing parenting. I'm curious uh, because I enjoyed that conversation with you and certainly enjoyed the book. What were some of the conversations and responses that you got from some of your readers um, now a couple of years past its its um, release? Well, at this point, I'm just having people
1: reference it back to me all the time, which is a real, um, you know, the, when you write a book like that, that's so focused on kind of what's going on now, you worry it won't have legs or you worry it won't um, you know, stand up to the test of time, and and little did we know that COVID was going to come and expose the way that seculosity or this force of kind of, you know, um, uh, horizontal religion, a replacement religion, had taken hold with such force in our culture, but I, I saw that happen uh, a lot, especially in the way that people were dealing with uh, the shifts in their careers, and um, what that meant for them existentially, identity wise, that was a a real question mark. And of course, for people in the church, you know, at least where I am in Virginia, pastors were very much having to wrestle with, what are we doing if we can't actually have church or like we're doing online church? What does that mean? So um, a lot of the conversations around it initially were sort of, oh, this sounds interesting. It sounds about right. It sounds sort of similar to other things I've read. Um, And then as time's gone on, I've I felt vindicated is the wrong word because you don't want to be vindicated about something like seculosity and the sort of immense suffering and anxiety that is results when people have made um, you know parenting or romance or busyness into a religion. But I have seen it. I've seen it become a little bit of a trope, to be honest, Andy. Like I've seen people uh, just as a way, oh, that's a new religion is a way to kind of dismiss anything you don't like. Um, uh, and I didn't, I wasn't trying to do that, I was trying to do something more universal in the book and talk about justification as a driving force in human life, uh, which is a very religious uh, impulse and motivation, so um, uh, I've, I've seen it become a little bit hackneyed, I guess, but I've I've also, and, and initially I had a lot of pushback about um, the politics chapter, people saying, oh, politics cannot be overstated, its importance cannot be overstated, so when you're saying it's a religion, you're trying to sort of dismiss it um in a way that sounds um uh nihilistic or cynical or something like that and um but i think that the last few years have have, have borne out what what that looks like um for politics to become a religion in people's lives left right or center so um yeah those are some of the conversations i've had i I find that the, the whatever people found to be the replacement religion that they most said they didn't like or that they most re- resisted thinking of in those terms as a replacement religion tended to be the one that functioned that way so if people's like how dare you say that romance is can be religious and those tended to be the people who were putting all of their eggs in the basket of um soulmates and uh, you know uh, romantic love to save them or to function as a sort of godlike uh, capacity um so, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel happy with the book. There are a few things I might change um, and a few things I might add. But I also feel continually convicted by the book because uh, I, I wrote it not from above, but um, in the midst of, of someone who is, is, has the wrong priorities uh, constantly and is uh, n- nonstop in this sort of dynamic of um, taking something good
0: and making it something ultimate. I like uh you said i don't want to be the person that walks in the room and says i was vindicated you definitely don't want to be the person that walks in the room and be like i was right and just screamed that yeah but you could you could with that book <laughs>
1: yeah i know you like it's like it's sad i i, I would have been it would have been nice to be proven completely wrong and to say <laughs> but i don't i don't know if that i don't certainly not in my own
0: local context that did not happen uh, catch us up to speed with with Mockingbird, and, and for those that didn't listen to our first uh, interview with you or or don't know about your work, tell us about um, Mockingbird. Sure, Mockingbird is a a, a platform at this point: uh, podcasts,
1: blogs, um, a print magazine, conferences, uh, you name it. Where we just try to uh, connect. Um, Everyday life with all aspects of God's grace, and with a real emphasis on sort of the the um, the, the radical nature of God's grace and forgiveness. Now, I think uh, we live in what a lot of people would consider to be a particularly mo- merciless and unforgiving moment, and so I feel like our our work uh, has not become, it contains it, it continues to carry a real urgency. I mean, I think the Christian faith is it's it's a religion of salvation, so it's always going to have deep, deep urgency in the lives of limited and, you know, sinful people. But um, uh, we've we've had a lot of we, COVID, you know, I think uh, for our audience at least, we didn't have to pivot is the word everyone used to online stuff. We were already there. I think that I felt that it's kind of God given that um, we didn't have to develop an infrastructure to reach people um, who were behind screens. Um, we did a lot of uh, podcasting like, uh, like uh, the rest of the world. kind of took over uh, our lives, but um, I've been very happy with, uh, we, we've got a, our print magazine. We brought out like two or three issues. We just did one on success and failure. They're thematic. Uh, we have a new one coming out on sleep. <laughs> um, we did one on, on, it was funny, we did one on, uh, on uh, sports, right? right before COVID so right before all sporting events got canceled which was a little bit um, funny ironic you might say but we got to have a in-person conference to New York this past year and we're going to do a bunch of conferences we're doing one in Tyler Texas in the fall with uh, Tish Harrison Warren and um and then we're going to do one in Florida in the spring and then we'll be back to New York so it's been really wonderful to have to have things embodied again um And yet, I I feel blessed that we made it through COVID in one piece and with our mental and spiritual health essentially intact.
0: We've got a new book, Low Anthropology. This book examines how our beliefs about human nature affect our everyday living. You wrote, whether we realize it or not, our personal anthropology funds expectations in our relationships, jobs, marriage, and politics. It's bearing on our worldview, and therefore our happiness cannot be overstated. Um, I can't imagine anything over the last two plus years that might have inspired you to to write this book about human nature.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so funny. I think we all got a real crash course in human nature uh, when we had to get off the treadmill for a little bit or things got shaken up and we had to deal with ourselves or with our relationships or with our church or with our faith and kind of stopped running for a little bit. I think that was one of the real gifts of the pandemic. Um. It was also really painful for that reason so um, from where i was sitting I, I i'm as someone who pays attention to the culture and to myself I, I i i sense a whole lot of not only division um and acrimony and sort of uh, us versus them thinking in every corner um i sense uh, a lot of people who are terribly exhausted by life and burnout is the phrase that we get that that has been becoming a buzzword over the last couple of years, but everyone is kind of burned out. Um, And so could it be that we have, as a whole, even in the church, swallowed a view of human nature, of human potential and capability and that is um, simply out of sync with God's world and um, with how we as creatures are able, not, not even meant to live, are able to live. And so I was looking for something that could bring us some, some, some kind of book. If I was gonna throw another book out into the world, I wanted to be something that has stood a chance of bringing people together and fostering uh, love. And by that, I mean, a, a sense of our need for God. Um, and so I think uh, the, the traditional way to do that has been to kind of unite people around their values or their strengths or their particular virtues, um, and I think that one of the great things about church is that we come together around, yes, we come around a common, you know, savior, a, a, a God, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, revealed in Jesus Christ, but we we come on our knees, and everyone is there in need, and there's no, the sort of, um, the democratization of 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 the the altar or the cross or something whatever you want to call it i found that to be really hopeful um um that that we are united in fact by our weakness and by our need and by our limitation and by our conflictedness and that's where i find compassion and patience for other people to say nothing of myself and also i think that you know, I'm interested in communicating the hope of the gospel to a world that I think is pretty uh, despondent, if not suicidal. And I, I, don't, I don't know how legible the gospel of 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 God's grace, um, the forgiveness of sin. I don't know how um how much that makes sense outside of people that. Or in need of forgiveness, or who can't do it all, who can't be it all, who cannot actually meet the demands, to say nothing of God's demands, but the demands simply of your you know your remote working job or your your marriage or the demands of your children, or I, I don't know what it is, the demands of social media. So um <laughs> that's a long, long answer to a short question, but they uh, that's what the, that's where the book kind of the, that's what those the origins of it.
0: Your background's um, in religion, uh, in journalism. Why anthropology? What, what inspired you to dig deeper into how we function as human beings? Um. Well,
1: anthropology, the way I'm using it is not actually the study of human beings or like, you know, uh, tribes in the rainforest or something like that that you would hear about in college. And this is a, it's a daunting word. It's a word that people... It's a hurdle. So I'm trying to the, the subtitle of the book is uh, the unlikely key to a gracious view of others and yourself. Um, An anthropology is simply your view of human nature. It's a shorthand, actually. It's not a highfalutin term. It's it's a way of condensing down what it is. I mean, when I say the, the words, I'm only a human or that, that was a very human experience I had. Um, and so uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm tr- I wanted to write a book that, that um, when I say it was made Christianity legible or plausible and understandable to just regular people, I'm of the opinion that the conditions, you know, I, we could invoke Charles Taylor or something, but the conditions for belief in our world are just have changed. And so if you want to communicate something like grace, something like the existence of God, to say nothing of a benevolent, forgiving, you know, interventionist God, you have to kind of take like three steps backward from where someone like C.S. Lewis started, you know, uh, if you want to, you have to kind of get way behind um, what it's like to be a human. And so if you before you can talk about sin or pride or being a creature, you have to kind of go to start way back and so that's where I that's the book is an attempt to start way back and say this is what it means to be alive today it means to be a person who is suffering under the weight of impossible demand who's tired and who reacts to that exhaustion with either blame slash acrimony of other people or directed inward, like I'm the worst, I'm the only one who cannot function. Now, people don't want to hear about words like righteousness or redemption necessarily, but those words, uh, sin, it makes sense in light of those those realities. So um, it's not, it was not an interest in anthropology as like a discipline be studied in in at a graduate level it was more an interest in human nature and what is it about human nature uh, and our our own my own life that leads me to find the very idea to say nothing of the reality of god appealing and in fact um exciting and incredibly urgent
0: so define for us what you mean by low anthropology
1: yeah, so I, the anthropology, your kind of view of human nature, is I just charted on a continuum of low to high. Low, a high anthropology basically says that um, human beings are essentially good. And if you can sort of remove any constraints or, you know, outside negative outside influences, they will flourish naturally. Um, a high anthropology basically therefore defines people according to their best days and their uh, highest achievements. A low anthropology doesn't deny those things, human potential, human giftedness, human inspiration. It does not deny those things, but it also into the, the circle of normalcy, it brings the experience of uh, human liability, human uh, sin, human pride, human limitation. Uh, so um, it's, it's not, uh, we, we're living in a time where it's like, um, Baseline expectation is that people are happy and content, and then the, if you're unhappy, you have to explain why. Or if you're, if you're having a, um, if you're a person who's filled with doubt, that you feel like you're the, the exception, or the, the the expectation is that you wouldn't have those things. My sense, according to the Bible, especially, is that those are well within the bounds of normalcy, of what it means to be a broken person in a broken world, or a fallen person in a fallen world, and so a low anthropology. I use it in the beginning, I talk about like uh, Anne Lamott, the writer has a great, she's low anthropology when she says that everybody is uh, clingy and scared and needy um, and basically making it up as they go along. So try not to compare your insides with other people's outsides. And I think that that's a word of like a real hope to people who feel alone and like they're the only one who is, uh, you know, faking it till they make it. Someone like Steve Jobs would have a high anthropology when he says, "You know, look within yourself to discover where you want to go. You already have it with, your intuitions will take you to the place where you need to go. And that's all great until, you're in, until you wake up and you're 45 and you're like, my intuitions took me, I regret everything they took me. You know, So a low anthropology, I would call it, instead of being like a more, it is a more sobering view of human nature, um, <clears throat> which is augustinian in a christian sense but it's also simply a more comprehensive view of human nature to be alive is not near merely to love and be loved that is the goal but to mere, to be alive is also to lack and to suffer and to be in pain and to to uh, to long for that which you do not have um and so both of those things are within the realm of what it means to be human so that's what a low anthropology is
0: This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. Did you know that CBB offers every participant an opportunity to create a comprehensive financial plan with a certified financial planner at Empower Retirement, free of charge? Learn more about completing your financial plan at churchbenefits.org backslash financial planning. As an incentive for our ordained participants, CBB will apply $500 to your retirement account when you complete a financial plan. It's a small, grant-funded way we can invest in your future. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefit services, and financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since
2: 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for Conversations That Matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support.
0: As people of faith, um, this is a fascinating kind of way of looking at it. It, it brings all different uh, kinds of perspectives into human nature and how we function, and how we live, how we view ourselves Um, You wrote, low anthropology, especially from a religious point of view, sometimes provides a rationale for shame or self-loathing. Likely, this has to do with how one of the major uh, antecedents of low anthropology, original sin, has been uh, misused. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper here. Uh, Yeah, one of the great modern critiques of um,
1: biblical anthropology or a Christian view of human nature is that it promotes shame and bad self-esteem, to think of yourself as a sinner in need of redemption, like that that is no, honey, you are my special little girl, uh, and don't let anyone tell you different. Uh, And I sympathize. I have children. I don't want them to think of themselves as, you know, Jonathan Edwards, kind of worms crawling in the ground or something like that. And that's, by the way, a total mischaracterization of Jonathan Edwards. But they, um, I, I believe that... What, what has been communicated in, from way too many pulpits is that you are a sinner who needs God's forgiveness and assistance and redemption. And then you, um, and, 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 and God has given you that, and that is why you become a Christian. Um, and then you, um, become a Christian and all of a sudden you're imbued with almost like magical powers and you can then sort of meet all these expectations. And so it's a selective anthropology. It's like you, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And that's, I don't think that's what Newton was talking about in terms of his anthropology there uh, in amazing grace. Um, But uh, what happens is then people as, as Christians, they feel like I have it within myself to make all these amazing choices i'm just not doing it and therefore you have a that's that's what what shame is so um that's what when, when shame comes to play you think i'm the only one in this room who who is continuing to struggle with temptation continuing to struggle with um doubt continuing to struggle with just sort of blatant types of sin dishonesty you name it and um a low anthropology doesn't deny doesn't sort of uh, Say that those things don't have consequences, that there's no moral value, but it does say that everyone is is act um, suffering in, in 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 quite similar ways, in fact. So um, I think it's much more shaming to um, uh, to say that uh, you know that it, I I am capable of being sort of almost perfect. I just haven't managed to pull it off yet. I think that's much more shaming ultimately than the opposite, which is in fact, I am a creature. I am finite. I am, conf- my will is bound and I am shackled by a sin. And therefore the, any kind of uh, beauty and goodness I experience is a beautiful surprise and, um, and a gift and the, the, the healing that I experience in this life Is a wonderful evidence of God's mercy um, to me and the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. Rather than um, it being, um, it's like it's a little bit of a glass, half empty glass, half full thing, I suppose you could say.
0: I guess for me, you know, pushing back on the whole doctrine of original sin, you know, of course, this is developed by Augustine. Um, You know, it's not terminology that's used within scripture. We just find scripture that kind of justifies the Augustinian. you know perspective into things but then you could also find verses within scripture that contradict that theological framework that that Augustine has created and i wonder if so mm. much of western christianity has been shaped by this one man's particular theological bent on our personhood mm. and our awfulness as human beings um Recognizing that there's limitations to what he was trying to argue, but also recognizing that scripture within itself contradicts what he's trying to argue. If that makes any sense, you know. So, do we develop this kind of low anthropology, uh, this low view of ourselves as a result of what we've been taught from the church? But the church has been inheritors of, um, you know, a, a form of a hijacked gospel, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's an important thing to say. What, what I would say is that it's evidence of a low anthropology that the existence of human limitation and sin has been marshaled as a weapon against other people. So uh, I think that um, uh, I don't want to place myself too far outside the, uh, um, the crowd of Pharisees, you might say, who would... Um, who i i find it confirming of a low anthropology that uh that human fallibility has been um has been leveraged against people and made made as, as a bludgeon um i don't think my understanding of original sin is not that people it's not a kind of a total depravity thing where everything you do is is um awful or the human beings are lacking in dignity i think like you do balance it with the imago dei and things like that but i also see in the bible a strong strain towards wanting to look the other way when it comes to our own um hypocrisy and uh, that tendency, that very tendency to want to manage everyone else's appearances and uh, prove that I am better than I actually am is something that is antithetical, in fact, in practice to genuine healing. And that's that's what, what I meant. I meant that um, I see a strong bias in the Bible among human beings to gloss over their um, their, uh, to think better of themselves than they are uh, or to gloss over their own hypocrisies and in fact when you are uh, the, a lack of transparency about one's own fallibility one's own you know um difficulty dysfunction what have you whatever kind of language you want to throw around it is it is actually um it's not uh it, it prevents um transparency honesty and in my experience real healing and in fact, love, because one of the great core contentions of the book, Andy, is that um, love is something that occurs not at the point of strength, but of weakness, We, 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 we people admire us for our strengths, but the ones we love are the ones who, who have stayed up all night with us uh when things were tough or we've we've been through college with them or high school or something like that and they've seen the real us and by the real us i mean the us that we're embarrassed about and that's why we trust their affections for us that's where love enters the picture so if you cut off a view of human nature that says you were um if you, if you cut off weakness and a limitation, and even sin as the as a as a, as a, as a abiding reality of human life, well, then you're actually uh, putting up a dam against love. <laughs> that's uh. Am I still frozen?
0: No, no, you're good. Okay. It would be so amazing if you like the- go on this amazing yeah. like like thought, and then you're like, I'm frozen again. Gah. son of a yeah um i want to take this thought a little deeper because you know again it's not just about self-perception it's perception of of others you wrote the more urgent question today has to do with what if anything might span the gap between us and them Uh, or is that project doomed from the start are our Mm -hmm. discrepancies whatever they may be simply too deep to to overcome I wonder if you would take us a little deeper there, and and this kind of divide we find ourselves in, uh, socially, politically, theologically, um, and and how that relates to uh, this thought of anthropology that you're you're spending throughout the book.
1: Yeah, I think.
0: Um basically a high
1: anthropology uh, an inflated view of human beings tends to break people down into categories there are there are people like this and people like that there are people that get it and people that don't there's people who are part of the problem part of the solution and we do this on all sides it's not it's a human Tendency. In fact, I would say it's a low anthropology tendency to do this. And so, a high anthropology solution to problems is basically to get those those people out of the way or punish them in some way, restrict them. Um, a low anthropology says that actually, uh, I we have far more in common um, than we uh, and and what we have in common is that we are, if I were to really dig under the surface, I would, I would find similar impulses. And that doesn't, that's not a way to flatten all differences or moral differences between right and wrong, but it is a way to give us pause before completely uh, condemning another group. Um, so I guess in, the, in that passage, what, I, what I've found in people that I f- initially think are my enemies Uh, The only way uh, that that talking about the quote unquote issues rarely does anything but allow us to uh, figure out what we think better, or maybe it'll give us some empathy into the other person's scenario. But what really uh, causes me to have more pause when it comes to someone who I consider an enemy ideologically is when I find out what's motivating them, and usually there's some sort of emotional Thing that's motivating them a deep sense of unfairness that or a some sort of wound that has happened to them or that they've they've witnessed and that they want to prevent in the future um but on a, on a personal level to have any kind of um to bridge gaps i rarely uh i i find it's much more effective to find out that uh he uh has a that my the, the guy who wants me out of my job is also um had a uh, uh his 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 son is struggling with mental illness <laughs> and he is dealing with the burden of uh a, an enormous amount of uh, futility uh, or feeling of impotence when it comes to the world and is so trying to take it out on me that doesn't mean I won't let him have my job, but it does mean that I no longer consider him to be purely evil or insane I think that there's um that there's some kind of emotionally uh, uh um, viable thing that is, that is, that is motivating him or her, just like there is me. And so, um, that's what I, that's how I, I say in the book. I was like, we're, we're, we're divided by our virtues, but we are united in our failure to live up to those virtues. We are, uh, divided by, um, uh, the, what we consider to be good, Uh, but we are united in our distance from good Uh, you know no one is living perfectly and no one is living consistently no one is living up to their their even and if they if they are then then that's very very difficult to um if they really think they are then you're you're in the realm of real despair but i i find them the, the hope that i've found when it comes to people that i've initially don't like or that I find to be opposed to me in some way is usually in the identification of some form of hurt, struggle, defeat, failure, that gives me not only sympathy, but identify um or but empathy. Because I had too have, have had those experiences. So does that go part yeah. way to addressing that?
0: Well, I mean you know, more specifically, you know, for our audience, congregational leaders, clergy, uh, academics, uh, people, people of faith, not to say that nobody listens to this is not a, a person of faith. But, you know, how are you seeing kind of this mindset uh, affect the church today? How, how is it rearing its head?
1: Um, I think that... Uh... Well, there's a whole lot of different, different views of it. Like, I think that we caricature other people uh, constantly, because life's too complicated. Otherwise, So we have to fit them into boxes. And I think the way that it works out in the church is usually some form. It's not, at least in my experience, it's not those non-Christians over there are terrible. What I usually find is people in the church are usually thinking that other church is terrible or those other people within my denomination are the problem um, or those people within my church are the issue. And so I, th- I think that um, the way that it works out in parishes tends to be that people... Um, Uh, start to, if you expect other folks to be more consistent or um, strong, uh, uh, virtuous than they're capable of being, you will come to hate them. So like the constant thing is like if you, for the pastor who um, wants to, uh, is dying for people to give more money and to show up for more volunteering events, the, the, the higher their anthropology the, the more they will come to resent people for not being that way. I quote a guy in the book who's a friend of mine and he's a very, um, he's got a thriving church and he's a wonderful minister with a church full of uh, incredible programming and outreach and evangelism. And he tells me he's like ministry got a whole lot easier once I realized that everyone is basically insane and i that did not create a disdain or cynicism about other people it created love for for other people uh or that and it was for him it was a deepening of his of his faith you know i used to think that people were sort of mildly hampered by their own um uh you know upbringing or woundedness or uh, anger or something like that, and it sounds. I now I realize that people are almost completely hampered by that, and therefore, God's uh, work shines so brightly because these I see all over the place, folks who um, used used to be miserable doing works of enormous charity and goodness, and taking the the sort of focus off of themselves. So, um, yeah, that, I think within the church, a disdain for fellow Christians is usually comes out of—it's uh, it, it's brought out that way. There is, a, there is another mode in which I think we um, blame non-Christians or uh, people outside the church as being singularly focused on our ruin, or um, there's a persecution complex that arises, which there are plenty of— places in my own experience where christianity is not um, welcomed in any respect and yet i also find if you were to talk to those people who are keeping the gates or opposing you they think they're doing they're they're not trying to do evil that they think they're doing good and usually they they're actually standing up for values that are um that are maybe secularized but deeply christian and sort of their um uh, uh that's what tom holland's book dominion is about and that the morality that people usually marshal against the church is itself a very christian morality a sense of like you know love for the outsider um upending of hierarchies to a kind of uh jesus who goes after the lost the least the last, the in the, the the little um and the dead like that is, that is not a, a Roman or a pre-Christian, uh, really, or pre-Judeo-Christian view of the world. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm trying to find the through line, something to connect me to my neighbor, and it usually has to do with some form of shared hypocrisy and uh, shared uh, uh, doubt
0: and insecurity. Um, so uh, where are we? Uh, it's evident in our social media interaction, our news outlets, our, our political teams within our communities and churches. So um, what's next? How, how do we, you know, obviously you wrote a book and you want people to read the book, but kind of um, what, what are the key takeaways for folks here? Um, well, a couple of different takeaways, and I think one of the
1: things is to re- remember very clearly that... We are created, we are creatures of the heart, not of the mind. And this is one of the great, uh, where people are a bundle of competing motivations. It's a Roman seven. I, I know what I should do, but I, I don't do it. The, the evil I don't want to do, I keep doing. And there's just a, there's the the, the flesh, the sin, the devil. There's all sorts of um, different uh, the heart is where the action is going on in life. So if you want to reach other people, this is a takeaway, don't aim at their heads because that's, you've never been really reached that way either. You aim at their hearts or you try to reach them on the level of story or sympathy or service in some way. I don't think that doesn't mean that propositional truth is is somehow... Uh, corrupt or doesn't isn't isn't important, but I think a key takeaway is when you we we think by yelling at other people they will change, and no one ever changes that way, partially because we go into combat mode. It's an attempt to appeal to the head, um, but the acknowledgement that everyone is a uh, is 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 in fact, uh, what's the, the 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 great phrase I use in the book that um, it's not my own. It's uh, Ashley knows. It says what the what the heart desires. The will chooses, and then the mind justifies. That's a biblical anthropology of how human beings change and how human beings operate. Um, if you don't have that in mind, you're going to be banging your head against the wall. Um, another key takeaway is that um, uh, that uh, we are generally um, see things differently. Uh, from other people, but uh we all function we we all have different gifts, you might say, or different convictions, but we all have very similar weaknesses. We all have a an agency problem we all have, lack the power to sort of fully enact what we think should happen in the world, and that is a basis for sympathy, compassion, unity, courtesy uh, curiosity. <clears throat> Another thing is uh, I think to um as as finite creatures uh and finite, and as Christians believe, should believe this. I think more than anyone that we are finite creatures. We are not uh, capable of completion in and of ourselves. That we always lack. Uh, there's always some core piece of uh, evidence lacking. So you can you can know something with ninety nine percent certainty, but you cannot know it with certainty. I think that that 1% allows you to actually even come to the table, uh, with other people. Um, even if they claim to be a hundred percent certain about something in the same way you can, you can do so you can know, uh, you cannot know it all. You cannot do it all. And I I hope that that sort of humility, um, we're we're dealing, I, I, I find that today, uh, self-righteousness is, um, is always the great uh, enemy of uh, love, but um, today you might even just call it certainty. Certainty is a great enemy of dialogue and love, and Christians should be the ones who I think could lead the pack in saying, as a creature, not of God, as a child of God, I, I admit that I am incomplete and in need of help from other people and in need of knowledge from other people. I think that's a way forward. Um, Humility is always sort of the ultimate way that um, goodness comes into the world, I think.
0: And that's why you don't walk into rooms and say,
1: I was right. Yeah, I mean, I was probably wrong about a lot of things in there, and there's a couple of things that I would change. Um, But yeah, that's a well. Those are a couple takeaways. I also think, by the way, I think social media is a system that has hijacked all of our worst tendencies when it comes to these things. We all know this to be true. I mean, it's, it's 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 exhibit number one when it comes to what we know to be true. And what we, how we actually find ourselves acting, like everyone knows this thing is deleterious and corrosive, and yet no one seems to be able to walk away from it. And like, it amplifies all of our worst tendencies and makes it, you know, we all refer to Twitter as sort of a cesspool. It's just not. Um, that 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 way of living is is to be confronted with every opinion in the entire world and every suffering and every headline in the entire world. It's just uh, it, is it cannot produce. Good things. It will only produce despair and outrage, and local sort of politics, issues, relationships. That's where
0: hope is to be found. Well, the other aspect of it is, you know, you you include in that the isolation we've experienced the last two years. So, so social psychology um, has examined and has has shown that. Um, when we live in proximity to others, there's a sense of accountability to our beliefs and our worldviews. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, become uniform in those things. And, um, but when we have the ability to sit across the table from somebody, especially when it comes to the church from a different political and theological persuasion than we do, we're more accountable to the words and actions that we express those things. And we've been apart for two years. And so we've been able to say whatever we want to say online without actually having to physically see anybody else. Uh, And it plays so much of a part into um, how, how we relate to others. I agree. And I think part of that though,
1: um, Andy is like, I can see your, your, your picture on social media and you you know you, you you look immaculate and handsome and all these things but then we get together and we're talking and i realize oh my gosh he's got terrible teeth you know like and he's not as as perfect as i and as much of a threat as i thought And in fact maybe he's just as human as me and we can talk about stuff and so there's a low anthropology that even goes through that i always i always find church one of the great things about church is you can be close to people enough to that they to, to smell them They, uh, which is to mean that they have their person who produces uh, odors, and they're not uh, uh, billboards. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. But it's a low anthropology thing. High anthropology would say that everyone is you know just just manage your your appearance to uh, as well as you possibly can. A low anthropology would say it's actually okay to age. It's okay to have a bad day. It's uh, you know like
0: no one is uh, God. Well, for our listeners, you don't know how painfully <laughs> accurate that was. I mean, David and I have never met before and I didn't pay you to say that. So yes, you're correct. Like a picture, I am dashingly handsome, but people meet me in person. I do have awful teeth. I've had more cavities than I care to admit. So Oh wow, gosh, you, I had no you're, idea. <laughs> you're more right than than you than you know.
1: Well, the amount of times I've you know become friends with someone who i knew online and online i had a sense of who they were and it was not complete it was it was partial and and <laughs> to the extent that it was partial is usually the extent to which i don't uh feel close to that person you know so it's it's a this is one of the ways in which the church i think by the way is totally countercultural and will become more so is that we actually get together with people that we don't already like <laughs> You know, and and we're confronted with their limitations, just as we confront them with ours, and we bear each other's burdens, and we because we need each other, and that's a beautiful thing, and I think that 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 is a premium that will only become more important as time goes on. The fact that we also are coming together to hear the words of of God's forgiveness of sinners, um, in a world that doesn't really give us anywhere to go with our shame or with our guilt, I think that's an just an added. Uh, bonus. I, I mean, I, 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 I think the church is, is the, um, sitting on a pile of
0: gold. Well, the book is Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself. Our guest is David Zell. You can check out David's work at mbird.com. David, it's always great to talk with you. Uh, thank you for calling us to reconsider the way that we see ourselves and others through the eyes of compassion and hope and grace.
1: Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me on.
0: Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out CBF.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at CBF.net backslash podcast support.